had was your week, Luke? Did you get up to? <laughs> what a start, um, mate. The week's been good. Really busy. I'm pretty um, pretty early days on a new business venture, so uh, mate, just trying to get my feet under the desk fully. Um, the market is pretty crazy at the moment from a recruitment perspective, so I've been out meeting with a lot of people. Um, the struggle is still real when it comes to finding good people in the hospitality sector, and uh, I don't really see that going away. I mean, you and I speak to a pretty um, mutual set of, of um, clients, and um, you know, it's, it's it's amazing just to hear the same story over and over again in terms of an inability to find um, really good people out in the market at the moment. I think that's a really it's it's good thing for you. I think the by, it's a byproduct of a good thing for Time Out, for example, because there's a lot of new venues in the market, and a lot of hospitality is doing really well in Australia in general, but in Sydney and Melbourne in particular. So um, it's actually a great time to be in the industry. It's just from a people perspective, I think um, what we're seeing is that. There's just not enough talented people to fill all of the opportunities that exist within the market, so it's, uh, it's an interesting time, yeah. Yeah, right. And so today we're interviewing Alistair Flowers, who you've known for a long time. Yeah. And uh, I think, uh, what are you looking forward to chatting to him about specifically? I mean, he's gone um, and opened up a couple of venues in Port Macquarie and yeah. gone to some athletes there. Um, yeah. It's going to be quite interesting. What else is capturing your imagination? Well, oh. Plenty. He, um, <laughs> mate, he, he's his publican of the year awarded this year. I think he won best regional pub um, as well. He, uh, look at, he's someone I've watched from afar for quite some time. Not had much interaction with him in in person, but um, you know, he's been pretty pretty prominent in some really well marketed venues in Sydney for, for quite some time. And what I've really liked recently is watching, um, you know, when I first heard that he was going to Port to open up the Settlers, I was really unsure of what the reasons were um, and how, you know, how potentially successful you could be in that environment. But what he's managed to create is pretty amazing. You know, I see him all over social media. He's obviously won quite a few awards for what he's done. The way that he positions that business is pretty amazing. You know, he's taken a business that wasn't performing and built it into something that's you know, that's flying and he's just done it through really good marketing. But I think a genuine approach to actually engaging with the local market is what I see. You know, a lot of sponsorships, um, a lot of engagement with local um, sporting groups and clubs and you know, he's part of um, a lot of local groups as well that sit outside of the pub. So I think he will be a really good example for people who run their pubs um, just to see what it takes to actually ingrain yourself in the community. Yeah, well, it sounds like he's brought back what a pub should be, which is totally a public house for the community. Anyway, that's great. Let's get him on. Good. Well, look, it is an honour today to be joined by the reigning... Australian Publican of the Year at the Alia Awards, is that correct? <laughs> yeah, I'm right. probably going to get the I number of, the, There's so many awards I that think it's it could hard be to the Hotelier of the Year at the AHA Awards, I think. <laughs> I think there's that as well. Could be both. Single and operator. Single operator. <laughs> Back at the time, yeah. Right. So highly awarded and, and without a doubt uh, very well um, due, obviously. Um, mate, thanks for joining us. Good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Mate, no problem at all. Thanks for lunch. All good. <laughs> um, so we're here at the Welcome Hotel again, and uh, Mike is here. Good ever, g'day, g'day, g'day. And it was a bit of a disappointment we didn't uh, get into a chicken schnitzel downstairs, Alistair. But uh, we were talking earlier about how good your chicken schnitzel is. At I, I always do like to compare the chicken schnitzels. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree. I, I was looking for a chicken. Well, we, what do we have? A, um, 
uh, buttermilk chicken, yeah. chicken burger, whatever it was called. Forced into a, a fried chicken burger. Fried chicken, yeah, that's right. No, it was good. Which was not too bad. Thank you, Liam, for that. Um, but tell us about the schnitzel. I'm into it. Straight in, straight, straight in the schnitzel. In. Yeah. <laughs> you talk a good game. Actually, when I took the pub over, receivership pub, we weren't doing too well. And, yep. and I was walking around talking to a lot of our staff and I said, well, what do we do well? And, and, you know, they were kicking a lot of rocks at the time. But one of the chefs says, we do a pretty good schnitzel. And I said, right, I'm going to work on that. We are, we are going to lead <laughs> with the best chicken schnitzel on the mid-north coast. And to his, to be fair, it actually was a pretty good chicken schnitzel. But mm. um, um, so we, we led with that. We told everyone that we had the best chicken schnitzel, and it actually was a good bit of marketing ploy because people go, "Oh, I don't know where I saw it, but I'm pretty sure they got the best chicken schnitzels in town," <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is just me writing it on, uh, on social media. Um, but no, no, they, they they do, and we've worked on that, and we've actually kept that going. And um, you know, we we don't cut corners on our chicken schnitzels you yeah. know and the guys I talked to the guys about you know labour costs and you know kitchen costs and they say well, yeah, well we, we, we spend a fair bit of time crumbing chicken I said well that's good money spent <laughs> keep going with that no take your time yeah. but yeah no we, we, we do great chicken schnitzels we, we crumb them in house so we put a little bit of herb in there and we you know we, we do a pretty good you know and we, and we don't and we have 350 gram chicken um mm. you know we, we do pretty well this sounds like an ad for chicken schnitzel do you like that the settlers um, <laughs> it's a good it start. is but like it's a good start to sort of i guess insights into turning around a, a venue which i think is kind of well of I, I have a bit of a, a philosophy you know to understand a good pub if you're walking into a pub for the first time mm. a couple of things that i do i I've, i try and find their most popular beer, which is potentially Forex Gold, have a midi of Forex Gold. You have um, you order a chicken schnitzel, which should yep. be their most popular thing. You order a side of chips, or usually the chicken schnitzel come with chips, and and you have a look at how many people in the um, NRL tipping comp. And if you've got <laughs> a good amount of people in the tipping comp, the schnitzel tastes all right, and the and the Forex Gold tastes like Forex Gold. You've got a pretty good pub. But that's that's obviously not relevant to Sydney. Like you're well, talking, are you talking regional? Well, I'm, I'm regional. I'm yeah. regional. But yeah. the, what but the philosophy is the, the philosophy is the same. You know, you look at the things that they should sell the most of or be the best at. Yeah. And you want to make sure that it is. You know, and there's a lot to be said about the taste of their, their most popular beer, or, or you know, but but the other thing to think about is there's even the the Coolio pubs in Sydney. Most people would have a chicken schnitzel on the menu. Yeah. You know, the Centennial was one of our. Uh, when I was running the Centennial, it was one of our go-to dishes yeah, on, yeah. on Justin North's menu was the schnitzel. So it's one thing you can compare and compare most pubs to is is, is how well they do one dish mm. in that case. And, and sure, NRL Tipping Cup is not everywhere, but a lot of the traditional public bars or regional or, or community suburban pubs would have a tipping comp so if you've got 25 in the public bar it might show you that it's not necessarily well engaged if you have 150 well this is a pretty good pub we've opened up in a thousand different directions (laughs) (laughs) because there's so much to talk about with you i mean your background is uh operations it's marketing pretty heavily you know for some large groups you've been through uh some big changes in large organizations you now own um two pubs uh in a regional location, but in, in what is pretty big, busy city, and you're doing exceptionally well. Made the transition from operator uh, from from sort 
working in operations for other people to being an operator yourself. Suits the shorts, I like to call it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, we are telling you, you get to wear shorts, shorts to work every day, which is a, a huge box tick. But um, going back right to the very beginning, what drew you into pubs in the first place? Because you've been doing it since oh, you were I, That's all I've to. done. That's all I've done. Like, if you can you crystallise that what what is it about pubs or working in pubs that has kept you Going. so energetic about it for such a long time well okay I'm, I'm probably without sort of going through any story I think the evolution of pubs is, is certainly been you know a journey you know yeah. and it's certainly how we were running pubs as 18, 19, 20 year olds to now is well it's a whole different you can basically call it a different industry yeah you know from the from the public and that the publican, you know, rolling in the kegs now to probably now sitting in a boardroom is sort of reality mm. to how it was. Um, I I got into the industry. I did. I was at a, at a went to um, the UK as a rentaroo. At, at um, we went to a, a a private school over in the UK after I left school and. Um, you know, was a dormitory uh, manager or, oh, or right. supervisor, whatever they call them, and yeah. um, coached the local, cri- you know, the, the school cricket team. But this pub was this this sorry, this school was so big. We had three pubs in the school. Uh, they had one for the the staff. How do you, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah. how yeah. do I go to this school? And, right. yeah. and, and can true. I go back in time to go there? True, true. Wellington College. It was called. It was a big school. You know, um, so is this a university? No, no. This is this is like a you know commensurate to Joey's in Sydney. You know, right. it was it was like a, a great big private school in the UK. And I was fortunate enough to go over there as. Um, the rentaroo, as as we used to call ourselves, and 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 you know you'd, you'd help out in the boarding facilities and all yeah. that sort of stuff. There was three pubs. There was it was that big a school that we had a pub uh, for the teachers. Uh, we sort of had the big um, gymnasium and sports facility, so there was a little sort of a bar in there. And and this is the, the best part: the the, the uh, year twelve students were allowed to have a, a pint and a half before they went to bed. So I used to open up what they call the junior common room. And allow the year twelve students to have a, a pint <laughs> before they'd go to bed. Awesome. True, true story. And and they're they're half a, half a year difference to ours, you know. So they're they're a July, a June to a you know versus. So a lot of eighteen year olds were still at school. So these sort of schools, you could actually sign off and go to the local fox, you know, the fox and hound uh, down the road to have a have a couple of schooners with the uh, sorry pints with the boys sort of stuff before coming home. Very different to what mm. we're used to yeah. <laughs> here, and so it was. It was me. So and they. So I, I sort of had no idea what I wanted to do when I left school. I was thinking at one stage being a policeman or a journalist, or I had no idea. And mm. uh, all I knew was I was going over to this school for for the year, and we'll see what happens after that. And they put me straight into one of these uh, a barman at one of these 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 pubs, so to speak. And I just enjoyed it. You know, I enjoyed the the um, the interaction and. Um, you know, and, and with with the, with the customers and, and how we can work on different ways to get people to drink more or, or whatever the case might be. So when I came back, I just... Uh, um, so you're trying to find out ways to get the students to drink more, is that what you're telling me? <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't have to worry about that because they used to... And, and they hoodwinked me, me the first time, but it was they used to always do it where they would all come up for, in the junior common room for the year 12. So they used to all come up. They were allowed to have their pint and a half. But what they'd do is they'd all buying half pints, mm. but they'd go and give it to the, 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 the it's one, one guy. So one guy would always get absolutely <laughs> blotto right. and, and you just didn't know what was going on. <laughs> 
but I sort of discovered that you know this was something that I wanted to explore. You know, it was it was an area of that I enjoyed, and I enjoyed talking to people, and I enjoyed the the relax, and I enjoyed watching people have a good time. You know, so I I went and. Um, Went to uh, Maclay College, Maclay, what's it called? Maclay College mm. to do a hospitality degree or, yeah. or d- diploma, whatever it was. And that was everything from, from sort of five star, sort of, you know, front desk to pouring right. beers to, to wait service. And, you know, it was, to be honest, it was a waste of time because yeah. as soon as you get into a pub, um, you, you do a degree in experience. And, yeah. and that was sort of what, um, where I sort of learnt, learnt the race. But I, I haven't done anything else but. Um, I started at um, the Paragon yeah, right. uh, in 1996, and and that was a great, great um, beginning for me because you know there were so many like-minded people like me who were tr- trying to do the same thing, and they, they identified that very early, and you were able to banter and talk to, and it was a late night, so you became into hospitality hours, but dealing with people who were we're also wanting to get into hospitality, not necessarily the uni students who do it as a second job, but other like-minded who were trying to get into the industry mm. and found a great pub in the middle of the Circular Quay, mm. you know, to, 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 to cut their teeth, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and then and you'd, and you'd deal... We used to have hospitality nights and you'd, you'd, you'd be really entrenched in, in the industry back back then, you know. Intercontinental used to come... All their staff used to come down and, and I used to host the hospitality night, you know. I used to be the bloke on the pool tables and, you know, doing tequila laybacks. I've still got, yeah. a, I've still got a scar here where uh, I was doing the laybacks back in the early, <laughs> you know, mid-90s, you know. Yeah. Times have changed. Um, so that's sort of how I cut my, my teeth in the industry and from that I sort of just evolved, you know, and right. took, took the next job. So it's the people aspect, is it? That, that initially, it, initially yeah. it was, you know, like, like it was one of those things where um, we're all very young, 18, 19 year olds and, you know, Alistair works at the pub so let's all go down and see him sort of stuff. So you used to sort of direct a bit of traffic, you know, let's all go to the Paragon, let's go to the next place. Yeah. And I enjoyed being involved. You know, a lot of the time I wasn't drinking when they were and I was working, yeah. but other times, okay, well, look, I, I can get us in, so let's go in here, you know, as social and social aspects. So you, you, you're controlling a bit, which was, which was a bit of fun. And yeah. I probably enjoyed that part of organising and a help organise social gatherings and things which i probably still still do today yeah did that so that never got to a point where you uh started to get i guess feel like you're missing out i guess speaking from my experience i was similar you know yeah yeah. turned 18 when is the industry was in it for 18 years but probably four or five years before i left the industry started to feel like i was missing out on a little bit that that hasn't happened oh look absolutely you, you do right. that you know and you and, and you know when i was working at pubs it might finish at 11 o'clock and you'd head down to mansions and, and meet with them afterwards <laughs> yeah. or and again you again because you'd, you'd you'd meet other like-minded who might have monday tuesdays off so you you frequently you, you work with them as well um, mm. you know there was always actually i, I remember one story probably Oh, late 90s, 1999, and and my sister was working with, with me at the time, another a mate who was at uni but also was a managing um, a pub at Coogee and the lead singer of Jelly Bean Jam, who obviously had the same type of uh, uh, timetable as us. 
And you know what will we do on a on a Wednesday? You know when we had our day off, so we 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 joined the local ten pin bowling competition <laughs> on Wednesdays at lunchtime. Just the four of us used to go down and, and bowl. It was it was good fun. You could always find people to have a drink with on a Monday night. Yeah, you know, back back when you were 18, 19, 20 year olds. Yeah, absolutely. So you're 18, 19, down, 19. At, down at the Paragon, and where do you go from there? You, you, you've got 10 pin bowling so on Wednesdays. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I'd, I'd been at the Paragon, and uh, sort of Maclay College was sort of, I was 18 for, for Maclay College, college uh, and the Paragon at the same time. Um, I was probably only there for the year, um, and I was sort of looking, uh, it's, it's obviously early days, but you're always looking around for, 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 for opportunities. And I, I met with a guy who uh, owned the Vic on the Park at Marrickville, Enmore, um, and he was looking for a manager. And again, I'm, I'm only sort of 18, 19. Mm. And he, he um, even though I was a bit young, he said, look, look, if you can bring something for me, i.e. give me a reason to employ you, let, let's go. And... Uh, he basically there was an event that I was holding down at the Paragon at the time. It was, and I, I went to a regional school up at Armadale at Taz, and, and the the Royal Easter Show was on. And we used to be back at Paddington at the time, um, and and we were creating a bit of a, a country party at Paragon. And if he said, mate, if, you, if if it's successful, you can get the gig. So. Uh, you know, it was an early, you know, no Facebook and then like we sort of just, you know, did the traditional flyers and we had the had the courtesy bus on and all those sort of things and used our networks and had a huge night and, and he, he said, right, let's go. So as a 19-year-old, I, I went and um, lived at the Vic on the Park at, at Marrickville right. um, and cut my teeth there. It was sort of thrown absolutely in the deep end because I was really only just a, just a bar supervisor at the Paragon to, to basically... A bloke who would come in and, and do the books on a Monday, Tuesday, but literally Wednesday to Sunday, I was running running the pub. Very different. The old Vic on the Park's very different. This is pre pre gaming and mm. pre, and literally my, all my I just had a lot of old locals and Portuguese, lots of Portuguese around Marrickville yeah, back right. then, and karaoke was the biggest night of the week. But we had a good tab in there, and you know a bit different to how it is now. But I really was able to. You know, jump in the deep end and um, and manage manage relatively early. And 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 I remember a couple of times. You know, you know, mate, we had a dealings with the Marrickville Legends. I think they were Marrickville Maulers. I think they were called back then. <laughs> Where you know you'd have you'd have challenges as a nineteen year old doesn't normally have. But you know, it was what's an example because it's fascinating when you're given responsibility at a young age and it's a uh, uh, you, you know, your life experience is limited. Like, what, what's an example of a challenge you faced then, and that you either handled well or didn't? Well, it was a lot of it back then. As an as a nineteen year old, was just how do you deal with people to a different degree? You know, you're always smiley at the at the bar, but there was a lot of people that were coming in, and and you know, there was a few, back then there was a few lost souls, so to speak. You'd come in and they'd come to the bar and, and you'd be the guy going, mate, how was your day? And he'd tell him, he'd tell you his problem. You know, you became a, a counsellor. You became, and, and so deal, for me as a 19-year-old, dealing with 45-year-old labourers who were coming in, had a bad day at work and, and being able to engage, I learned a lot about life and people through that, that experience. 
um, you know, cashing up at the end of the night. Yeah, you learn that, but you, you learn over over time. You make a few mistakes about doing the cash ups, but you, you do it. You know, you, you you might forget doing an ALM order, and you, you you run low on vodka for the week. You just learn that one. You just learn to, to to do that better. But the big one was probably the front of house interaction with people of all walks of life who used to come here and and be part of the pool comp. You know, the pool comp yeah. was just literally. 25 people who were just you know living in the local area coming in and, and and meeting others to to talk and you used to be sort of the king of those guys so to speak so yeah so that was the biggest learning I certainly had yeah. but also it was also my introduction to um, to police and uh, compliance and legislation and all that sort of stuff you know and back then it was a little bit looser than it is today um, you know we used to have licensing guys that would literally you know, start up at the Marley up at um, near Sydney Uni there yeah. and do a pub crawl. Yeah. And I was the last on the pub crawl. So we used to have a little bit of a, a fund and, we, you know, we'd buy them, you know, a few extra drinks and that sort of stuff. Um, so they used to always, you know, and make sure that we all look after the licensing guy back yeah. then. But, you know, this is early, mid-90s, you know. That, that guy didn't last too long. But, yeah. but <laughs> you, you, you'll learn It would be much easier if it was still like that. <laughs> but uh, we, were, we were talking earlier and, and, and how things have changed and we were examining some of the, let's just always say, uh, imaginative provisions on your licence these days up at Settlers uh, around the prohibition on rock music. Well, that. it's 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 you know you look at all the different licenses and there might have been a, a couple of misdemeanors you had with the, the police so they they've somehow got it into onto your license and when I in it, when I took over uh, settlers in you know one one of the, the the main ones that we had that was a challenge for us was a provision of no rock music so you know you know we we can have a duo or, or something or someone was going to be playing uh, maybe a house DJ but in the scheme of what the the license said, I could probably have a heavy metal band playing, mm. but as long as it wasn't rock music, because clearly previously they they they'd had rock music and caused a few dramas. So I'd inherited a, a poor operator before me, and had to take on you know the issues that they had. And rock music was supposedly one of them. <laughs> well, we can't have any of that. <laughs> That's uh, right. Heaven forbid. And how does that? Um, I guess that approach that would have that would have driven that condition being placed onto your license has that permeated its way into other areas or other aspects of the of the economy or of the um the industry in port like do you how's the nightclub scene up there is it as well you know we've we've got a we've got a um a a very uh, proactive uh licensing um department up there in port macquarie and and um you know Based on on making sure that you know everyone stays compliant and, and maybe a couple of rogue type operators, yeah. you know it's it's there's there's actually not much of a, a late night uh, uh, licensed you know offering up there. You know we've we've gone from four late night venues to down to one. You know just yeah. one small uh, nightclub that holds 200, 200 people probably uh, at, at at all. You know so. Yeah, so that that's been a challenge, and you know, it's it sort of is what it is. I, you know, yeah, it's that's the that sort of comes with the territory these days. Mm. Yeah, well, it's the same in Sydney, I guess. Mike, is that better than? Yeah, and in terms of the, I mean, it's going off on a tangent, but we were talking about, I guess, the tourism uh, appeal of 
Port Macquarie or was the mid north coast, I think, is the term. Yeah. So and and uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Like what what um, because I guess um, you you want these regional centres to be to be vibrant and attractive from a tourism perspective. What's what's going on up in, in Port Macquarie around those sorts of things? Oh, and, and that's right. You know that that one nightclub late night. You know we, we, the offerings not there for people just to enjoy themselves in Port Macquarie. We're, we're a uni town now. You know we're, mm. Charles Sturt University will have five thousand students in the next couple of years. Um, we're you know probably Port was seen as a you know a purple rinse type you know retirement <laughs> home. It's yeah. it's vibrant. You know there's there's new families arriving. There's there's people, it's, it's the fastest growing area of New South Wales, what Port Macquarie's um, showing us at the, at the moment. So, you know, it's, it's something, we, we've got to be able to keep up with that and, and keep that, um, that being, be dynamic and make sure that we, we still stay appealing to, 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 to the new people that are coming through. Yep. And, well, and it's a challenge. And what's driving the growth? Is that just people leaving major well, centres or just... Look, it is. It's, it's Sydney people moving north, you know. If, you know, a lot of people who might live, you know, far west paying big dollars on, 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 a, on a, home, a home mortgage, you know, you can you go to Port Macquarie with a lot of... Because there's growth, a lot of traders can get work, plumbers, electricians, builders. Yeah, right. um, and you can be five, meet, five minutes from, from the beach... For for five hundred thousand dollars, so you know, why. Why, why wouldn't you move up there? You know, is that what compelled you to do it? Is that yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it was it, a small country town. Look, what what it compelled me to do it was, um, you know, I was living in Narrabeen and on the northern beaches and working in Wallara, yeah. and you know that's Military Road and that's uh, an hour. Right. It can be an hour and a half. It's three hours um, in the traffic, you know, and. When, when I bought Settlers In, I was looking at it as an investment, keep a, a Sydney job and, and sort of have that as a, something that I can work on. But it mm. just got to the stage where, you know what, it, it's, it's not worth it. Let's get up there where the money is and, 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 and have a crack living up there. And, and where a lot of people say, oh, how does it, you know, not living in Sydney anymore, how does it, how does it feel? They said, well, for me, as long as they, I can get myself a good coffee of a morning, Mm-hmm. And and five ten years ago, you know, you could not get a good coffee. Every corner in Port Macquarie is a good quality cafe. Yeah, uh, offerings are, are so much better. You know, it, it's it's catching up. You know, yeah, that's right. that's the beauty of it. So, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm missing out at all. At, at, at all. Um, uh, you know, and you can be five minutes from the from the beach, five minutes from the work, five minutes to the hospital, the, the, the kids' school, and everywhere you want to be. The airport can be all five minutes away. Why wouldn't you want to live there? <laughs> I didn't know you had an airport. Yeah, and <laughs> mate, we can get a, we get, used to go to Melbourne, we go to Brisbane. Um, it's it's a big airport. That's They're letting it. you out to go to Brisbane. That's awesome. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Because what you've in your career, we'll, we'll ask you a few more questions shortly about. Uh, NLG, but and, and and maybe your time at uh, Centennial, but really, if I look at this, you've got someone who's clearly highly experienced, clearly skillful as a, a publican uh, and and beyond, and has taken those skills to a regional place, um, found a property like Settlers Inn, and has now created quite a good thing for the region really and and making it more desirable for people to assumably move to mm. sure yeah absolutely absolutely um you know and it's not just you know at, we've had in the last two years 
you know, we've got some very large clubs and, you know, there's been $60, $70 million spent on the, the three or four big clubs up there. You know, Tacking Point's a great pub. They've just spent good good dollars up there. Every, You know, the, the money's moving into regional areas, especially in hospitality space. And, and you know, we're, we're sort of, you know, we've been basically all the, the hospitality was told, you know, lift your game. And that's what they're, they're doing, you know. And, you know, it'll be you know, great for, for for a long time to come, you know, and mm. as, as it will get busier. And, and they're building suburbs in Port Macquarie, you right. know. There's an earmarked uh, development to have 10,000 people, you know. Uh, people are moving out to these regional areas, you know. It's, it's exciting so as a business owner, but exciting for them as well, you know. Mm. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't endorse it more. <laughs> so, and will, do you think that the, I guess, the Sydney pub market sort of expand its reach further and further? Well, and, and that one's a little bit different. I think that, you know, you look at the pub industry, you look at the price of pubs, the yields that um, the Sydney publicans um, need, you know, there's, unless you're a relatively large organisation, corporate or big family, there's no pubs available. Um, so people are looking further afield, like the regional um bigger towns, coastal towns, but, you know, they're going inland at Dubbo's and Tamworth's mm. and, uh, as well, you know, and you can still get some pretty good value for your money and that's what that's what I think has drawn, you know, Arthur Laundy has, you know, he's, he's bought a couple, I think he might have about 10 or 12 in this, in the in regional New, New South Wales mm. and, and I'm sure he's looking for more as, as a lot of the, the main publicans are. The correlation between the housing market and the pub market is, is pretty uncanny. I mean, you see... Prices in even as close as the mid-north coast, or I think that's about right, like Avoca, Terrigal, those kind of areas, housing prices have gone up massively. Well, that's the, basically the Sydney, Sydney now. People yeah. are moving up there, which is squeezing local residents out of that market as a lot of local Sydney people have been squeezed out to those markets, which is demanding a better level of food and beverage and service. To But there's jobs now. There's jobs in Port yeah. Macquarie, you know, and you've got a university the size of what Charles Sturt is with 5,000. It's a lot of people. Mm. The, 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 the hospital and the medical industry is huge. Building is phenomenal. There's, you know, as I said, there's, there's, there's whole new suburbs being built. Yeah. You know, there's so much. Um, it, once the jobs are there and the infrastructure is there, um, you know, it, it, and and the roads. You know, the, the, it, it it used to be probably five five and a half hours. It's, it's four now to get to Port Macquarie. Right. So and and again, you know, you got Virgin and Qantas both. Um, you know, keeping the price of airlines down with competition. You know, and JetGo was there, and uh, Alliance is there, and there's plenty plenty going on. It's good stuff. Probably to, to bring it back even further, I, I went, you know, from the Vic on the Park and um, to to a company called, um, well, I went to the Beach Palace Hotel down at Coogee, which was just a small, um, a pu- relatively small pub in um, in a shopping centre down at Coogee Beach, uh, next to the big Coogee Bay Hotel, and you know we, I worked down there and I was working with uh, at the time, um, Andrew Jolliffe, who was the licensee um, of um, the Beach Palace Hotel. And um, Dan Brady, who's who's NLG Redcap, he's he was the assistant manager, and I was the other assistant manager down there as well. Um, and we we had a you know a, a fair bit of success as a as a management team, you know. And 
had you know it was a great time for us down there you know we were very popular and you know it was sort of the in place of the eastern suburbs and a lot of that was to, I think to do with having a good team around us and we had some assistant managers you know down there as well you know in Joel Cronin who's who's also still with Red Cape Ben Ori Cam Armstrong some some guys who are you know are quite heavy hitters in the industry mm. industry now um I sort of bring that up because the old NLG was was bought out of some of those those guys, and I was there for ten years. Um, and uh, when AJ left the Palace Group, he he created what was or, or sort of moved into a, 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 a pub fund, uh, which was called Grant Samuel at the time, and and that was sort of morphing into what became uh, NLG, um, and it was sort of the start of when the corporates really got heavily involved in the industry as such. Um, and, you know, AJ and Dan sort of went across a few years before I did, but sort of on, on um, I went across there as the group marketing manager. And we went from, um, you know, Grant Samuel was, I think, six or seven pubs. And sort of when NLG was properly formed and, you know, we went from, you know, seven pubs to... It was literally 40 pubs within six months. Mm. Um, and it was a very time, you know, challenging time. You know, not only, you know, there was probably parts of the whole, you know, acquisition or, or, or you know, that, that was never going to add up, but just going from seven pubs to 40 pubs in six months means that you, you had to do... And, and I'd come from, you know, three pubs, Beach Palace, Roxy mm. and, and Empire... To, to 40 pubs within those six months, you know, you, you, you learn a lot pretty quickly, mm, yeah. <laughs> um, which is what we did. You know, we had to do things very differently. You know, we were inheriting management teams from Townsville down to Wagga, yeah. uh, Gold Coast, um, you know, a lot of a lot of Sydney pubs, all the all the old Irish pubs that was, was back there at the time, which is Mount Annan and um, Campbelltown, Granville. So, you know, it was, it was a... It was a challenging time. Now, ultimately, yes, it went into receivership, but, you know, we... And receivership was sort of a very much the front end of what actually happened as part of, you know, the whole NLG to Red Cape story, uh, if, if, if you will. You know, we we certainly um, had a, had a, a, a challenging P&L, but, um, you know, we were always, you know challenging ourselves to, to, to better expenses and to, to look at ways to, 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 to better revenues to keep our head above water and to be honest we probably did a very good job you know mm. probably a better job than most people gave us credit for or, or sort of predicted <laughs> what was going to come through and and um, NLG at the time was just a, a, a leasehold business and uh, it was being fed in from the Headley um, Leisure Group, which was just a, a property arm, yep. which became Red Cape. And then, uh, then you know, you know, a lot of very, you know, intelligent people looked at ways they could um, make a, a deal work. And uh, it, it took probably a few people from overseas to come in and, um, you know, um, to do 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 what was seen as the uh, NLG Red Cape merge deal. Um, and as part of that, um, you know, we, we we went into receivership on on on, a, on the basis of, of a way to probably take a few assets out, you yeah, know, right. more than anything else. Yeah, you know? okay. It was always going to be an end story, but uh, a very good way for us to move on a couple of 
dogs, duds mm. that we were never going to yeah. to do any well out of, and it was just you know in in that sense a, a very strategic and very good way to actually position us at the time. And just in terms of your career, then you would have in that period, given the size and scale of the expansion and the pressure around profitability, is that the, a, a massive learning curve in terms of? Oh, look, absolutely. You know, and what, look, we. we we had to do things very differently straight away. You know, I, I came in as group marketing manager. Dan Brady was seen as the group ops manager, run led, led by AJ, who was the, the CEO. Um, you know, we had to be able to to look at forty P and Ls, and as I said, we there were a lot of these pubs we were never getting to, mm. so we had to create some very tough compliant policies and procedures to make sure that we knew exactly what was happening in Townsville, what was happening in Wagga. And that's, that's, that's tough, you know. So number one was to make sure we got, you know, the policies and procedures right. You know, this is the way you do this, this is the way you do that, this is the way you manage your HR, this is, this is it. You know, it was robotic, completely mm. robotic is how you used to do it. On a marketing front, the same thing, you know. Like, there was pubs out there that was doing poker one night then lingerie bar staff the next, then trying to do a family... Fun day the next day. You know, at the same time. Or, mate, well, literally three days apart. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's the thing. So we had to, you know, and I created a, an online system that meant that you had to go through a few of those approval processes. So, so the way that we probably the development, we had to stick to compliance initially. Make sure that we knew ex- exactly what was going on. Make sure that we're using all our procedures in place. Uh, so we knew we had sort of real tangible understanding of GPs, wage controls, um, costs, had to have proper approval process uh, there. Um, and then, and same with marketing. So there was absolutely, marketing was an interesting one. We had to, and we, but at the same time, when we had volume like that, you know, you could leverage off the volume. You could talk to uh, a marketing, a print company and say, right, well, this Mother's Day promo is going to work probably in these seven venues once you knew target markets and the brands, you know, mm. if it was a community pub, a gaming pub. You know, we had the retro Bristol Arms nightclub at the same time as having, you know, the El Cortez, you know, or the Eastwood Hotel. So a lot of diversity that was there. We were able to position the pubs very well. So... You know the way that, and we learnt from, we learnt that one pretty quickly. You know, we learnt we had a few mistakes in there, and but we learnt the way that we needed to actually get our um, our, our backer house in order. And then once we sort of got a good understanding of that, we were able to sort of I, I moved my sort of self into a, a more of a, a developing and coaching sort of role on. Okay, now that you you know we we know your expenses let's look at ways of generating some revenue locally you know work on community engagement you know working on um you know maximizing through through personality within the hr that was there Mm. very challenging very challenging but you know we certainly learned how to do that and we, we had a pretty good go at sort of teaching that and mentoring the local licensees at the same time my understanding of that business even through that time, which was would have been, I mean, did you define that as a crisis in, in an organisation to be going into receivership or administration, sorry, um, but you still managed to hold on to kind of key individuals in that business. Oh, look, how, and how did that happen? Yeah, and look, you know, and we were sort of, and that was sort of, like, look, the writing on the wall for NLG was basically when we, when it was formed, but you know that was probably a little bit pre GFC, and yeah. and you know 
we actually relatively sailed through the GFC on the basis that we we had all our um, back of house in, in order. We were already very, very lean as it was. So when, when people were certainly identifying that they had to get, you know, reduce costs, well, we mm. were already doing that. So we sailed through a bit of what that looked like. Was that strategic or... That was, well, that was very... Well, being, being lean was very strategic in that, okay. in that sense, Ab- yep. absolutely, you know. But, but you're right, you know, when you go into receivership, it's, oh, my, you know, what's going on? Or, or a takeover or someone's acquisition, that sort of stuff. And we, we knew that, that there, was, there potentially could have been carnage going through, you know, on the HR level. And if suddenly you're, you're losing, your lot, you're, you know, your, your, your mainstay licensees from pubs that are three, five, ten hours away, well, that, that, that's a challenge that you just mm. didn't need. Yeah. Very hard to uh, recruit when you're uh, in, an, in no man's land like a receivership. Yeah. So we, we, we spent a lot more time working on our, um, our core values. You know, we brought people in to assist us. To, to really make sure that we, we stayed, you know, you know, our, our culture was absolutely right. We gave each other, you know, feedback and we made sure that we were very true to, to what the core values were. Uh, and, that, and that was, you know, for, for me, a, a great learning and a great sort of change in probably who I was. Yeah, right. Um, you know, again, when you try and, and I was... Group market management. I moved into a group operations role uh, back in that sort of period, and you know when you're, you're dealing with forty pubs and area managers and licensees and, and external, you can, you know, you can be, be abrupt and you can be sort of direct and those sort of things. But it sort of got you into reality of thinking, you know, what's going to be best for best way to execute what I need to happen and, and, mm. and provide some proper real leadership. Yeah. And and that process for me was was really, uh, you know, a real learning curve for me, you know. My leadership style probably was, you know, could have been improved and, and this was a way for it to, for me to identify what needed to, to happen and, and, and work on that and, and and move it move it through um, to, to, to a better result for, for me personally but for, for the business. Um, and, you know, our receivership in LG might have been about two years, but, you know, in that time we probably lost only one senior person, which mm. was testament to the process of what we are able to, to, to do there. And, and I'm very proud of that. And yeah. Red Cape now is obviously a, a very, you know, profitable, great success story and yeah. a tough time um, that led to bigger and better things with great assets. They always had great assets and they just had to, uh, to realise that through, through that process. Well, I'd have to say it's from an outsider looking in, it's something that they've carried on, you know. Oh, totally. Uh, and Joel and is uh, someone who I, I've had a fair bit of interaction with. He's, you know, one of the people that I respect very highly in the industry because their commitment to procedure and process and structure and professionalism is, I don't know if I've seen another business that adopts the same kind of approach. And, and you know, fair to say that Joel's learned a, a lot about himself and, and, and his leadership experience through through the whole process of yeah. NLG to Red Cape. And, and, you know, to go through something like that, and, and I think two or three years ago, Red Cape was, you know, operator of the year, you yeah. know, to have a perception of a receivership to, to become um, operator of the year at the AHA is... is is testament to, uh, to to what they've done. Yeah. Me personally, um, you know, it got to a stage also where, you know, it became very corporate. You know, that's reality of you know what you run forty pubs. You know, I was yeah. wearing a suit to work. I had, a, a, you know, I was 
you know, doing a lot of that analysis and I was doing a lot of board meetings and a lot of, you know, that top-end sort of stuff. And, and it got to a stage with someone like me with an end goal of wanting to own my own place. Mm. I had great experience and I had an absolutely fantastic time learning, massive learning at, at mm. what NLG Redcape was. But it was certainly time for me to move to 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 the next next step for me to and there was there was probably times it one there where I might not as a bloke who was trying to to lead the engagement lead the personality and lead the marketing of of, of Red Cape at that time to not actually visit a pub just because you're caught up in analysis and other things yeah. and, and acquisition by that stage you know it was probably not where I wanted to go I think I'd learnt enough out of corporate for what I needed. I'm learning to fly But I ain't got wings Coming down Is the hardest thing What I did then, I went from, uh, went from Red Cape uh, to a very a boutique uh, pub group called Halcyon Hotels. Yep. Um, just an uh, individual property um, family that uh, owned the Woolwich Pier. Yep. Um, had just bought the Centennial and, and, and in, in that time we bought the Buena Vista Hotel. What what was appealing for me there was, um, you know, going from something big to something small like mm. that, um, you, you, working with a, with a family that wasn't necessarily hospitality-centric, so I had something to bring to the table. But also um, the type of businesses they had was a learning for me. You know, I probably didn't have the experience or what – Working with a Justin North or a, a Centennial with with high end and you know um, your booking systems and, and and you know a whole new different way of thinking. So mm. so that was great learning. I, I knew it wasn't going to be something forever, but it was something that I really felt felt I needed in in my development was to go to at the time Woolwich Pier was was I think it won a three schooner as the you know the the, the, the hotel of the year through that, the the good yeah. food stuff group quality those. pub. Quality Attention. pub, yeah. um, and then um, Centennial won uh, best redeveloped um, hotel um, at the AHA. So I was sort of proud to be a part of that, and it was you know, it was you know, it was that was a pub that that just that just launched with an absolute bang. You know, mm. it was there was no time for breathing. It was bang. It was straight on, and it was it was high end. And it was high profile. Uh, having Justin North and and you know the location of it, and so that was a great time. Um, and as part of that, I, I then, at the same time, I got offered a, a position with the um, with the, the, the Ashton and Mitchell War. Um, they were about to launch the Collaroy up on the northern beaches, and and I grew up in Collaroy, um, so I know the old surf rock very well. Yeah. And again, you know, on my journey of my getting my experience to to hopefully one day have my own place, um, it was a great opportunity. You know, it was a an icon of the area. You know, that was. There's not many pubs that had a view that they were able to un- unleash it, what the old surfer it was, you know, they, you know, years in council to get that through. And, um, you know, and being able to get it, get to, to the colour at the really raw stage where there was still in development and conceptual stages of, of what it was to become. And I um, was the licensee general manager for the Collaroy for for that launch, for that, for that first year and a half. Um, and very proud of that. You know, we, we yep. again, best redeveloped hotel, not just in New South Wales, but within Australia. You know, that was huge. Mm. Um, and then from that, I, I went and uh, assisted them with the creation of what was the pub, public house group. 
um, which was sort of putting a brand over all their pubs, which included then, um, you know, the Royal was a part of it, the Buena Vista, which was something that I was close to already, so the acquisition of that. Um, the Norellan Hotel, which was just always going to be a beast out yeah. there in a, in a big population footprint. Um, had a couple in the city and, and again, so I was, I was able to take a lot of the, the learnings from Red Cape. Uh, it took a lot of, you know, the development and, and the, you know, getting external people into work on core values to get that real culture within um, in, the, in the creation of what the public house brand became. Uh, I got heavily involved with as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my, my title there was general manager of commercial? Co- commercial something. Yeah, but that was just a development sort of business development piece there. And, yeah. Um, and we, we, we had to go and it was a bit – had to get a bit cutthroat. There was a few probably people there we had to move and, and, and we, we, we used a few recruiters to get make sure we get best-in-class uh, licensees, which is commensurate with what the brand and what the, the, the assets were. And, and, again, very proud that they got, um, you know – Group of the year at the AHAs, yeah. you know, and that was certainly something that they were. We were all coming off a very low, ba- low, low base there, and be able to create something pretty special there, a public house, and and and, and now obviously they've got the Toxteth and the Wallara, and yeah. you know, there's there's certainly a, a, a big, a big successful business now. So that was that was a good a good bit of my learning again, you know, and and I, that was a big thing for me. Everything that I I, I was to to do and to work with was for me. Um, uh, an opportunity opportunity to learn, mm. learn different things uh, to one day hopefully, you know, buy, buy my own place. The learning is something that comes up a lot when, when we have these discussions. What's your approach to learning? Because you would have gone from, well, you have gone from Red Cape NLG, which were fairly gaming-centric businesses, to Public House where food and beverage sits probably more at yep. the fore than gaming. Centennial, hundred percent. You know that's a that's a food and beverage business. No gaming at all. What approach did you take to your to to the learning aspect of getting across well, those types of businesses? The best thing about that was, you know, I was all the different venues I went to had, as you just said, a, a different learning opportunity for the revenue stream. You know, mm. gaming there, high end food there, bar there. Um, and a lot of that, and, and we didn't talk too much about the Palace Group where I was for 10 years, and, and that was certainly high-end, uh, not high-end, sort of ho- very busy-paced volume bars, mm. lots of very innovative marketing that was associated with that one as well. Um, and, and sort of the idea there was, okay, well, I can put that all on a bit of paper and uh, there's not many places that I've missed now considering, yeah. you know, all that I've been through. And that was sort of a lot of – that was my strategic approach from the start is – you know, before I went and actually tackled something myself, I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss anything. Yeah. I, I, I needed to know where, know where the opportunities lie within the whole of the industry by tackling every single one of them. Knew what I, my strong suits were, my skills were holistically, and then you know find an asset or find something that sort of met that. And I, look, I had opportunities to buy with people on my own prior to that. But I, I held off because I, I just wasn't confident that I was right or the asset was right. You know, that was that was a big one. You know, there's no point going into something that was a dog that was always going to be a dog. Yeah. Um, or I, I just wasn't confident of that type of business model or whatever it might be. And I was very fortunate to uh, to find a business regionally. But, but again, 
no problem about that because that's all I can afford at the time, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, Sydney's gone. Sydney was gone for me and, and, and regional was right and I was lucky to find a, a, a receivership asset that, um, you know, ticked every box, you know, big car park, you know, opportunity with gaming, um, good community. And, and I'd, I'd worked in Port Macquarie before at NLG. Um, you know, we had the four pubs there. You know, there's six pubs in Port and... Um, NLG had or Red Cape had the four, the four, and, and now I've bought the other two. But <laughs> I certainly knew, I certainly knew uh, the Port Macquarie um, community well before there, and and I'd seen a lot of different communities, and I knew Port Macquarie was, literally, it was a standout to be honest, you know, yeah. from of of engagement person, you know, and 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 the people who lived in that, that area uh, was was good. I guess million dollar question, four million dollar question, landing <laughs> in um, in settlers. Um, I think you'd have to be living under a rock to have not seen what you've achieved up there. You know, personally, public end of the year, you've won many awards for what you've done at settlers. You've taken, uh, I guess, the city approach to marketing, um, understanding of how of pub operations, obviously, from many many years working in the industry for other people, gone out there, taken the punt, bought your own venue and, and done exceptionally well. So I, I guess the reason I was really interested to talk to you today was to kind of uh, download that information for other people that might be considering the same thing or already have done it and you know maybe some of your insight could help them potentially yeah, talk sure. better or it's just a good story. But, yeah, and, and look, as, as said, you know, I bought I, I bought a, 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 a pub that was on its knees, you know. The bottle shop hadn't opened for 18 months. The, no. the poor blokes in the public bar were drinking twisty VBs because there was no draft beer on, you know. I, I got myself a very fortunate position that uh, I took over a receivership pub. So the number one is, is I was able to find a, an asset that was probably undervalued you know I, I bought it basically at breakup value because that's literally what it was can i ask you can i stop you because i know you're gonna keep going but did that not scare you at all the fact that it was under performing to such a level? no because i was very aware of the previous operator right and i'm very aware that you know that the lady that was there she was non-industry didn't know what it was and, and as i said as i've said sort of all along i've held i've held off doing this for you know i've had 20 years of experience before i got to this stage mm. because i wanted to make sure i was right this lady was you know got herself a bit of money and, and went straight in the deep end non-industry background and and you know it's very challenging for someone like that to do it yeah i and, and if you look at if you look at the, the pub at the time you know it had all the makings of a, cra a cracker pub <laughs> i was just very fortunate uh, to, to be able to find an asset that was like that i said you know a hundred a car park of 100, you know, I'm on two acres of land in the middle of Port Macquarie. You know, it's hard to find. So I'm very fortunate there. Mm. Um, you know, there was 11 poker machines. You know, I had the opportunity uh, on my licence to, to go to 21, which I was able to do straight away. I did a little bit of renovation. I put a brand-new sports sports bar in there and TAB, um, you know, straight away. So that, that was certainly... Um, 
but but one of the things I did at the start, and probably I'm, I'm probably very, I think this is actually one of the elements of our success. So I, I had this. I sat down with the staff, and I I just got a whiteboard out and said, "Just tell me what went wrong. <laughs> just tell me yeah, right. tell me how you got to this stage. You know, because all I wanted to do is get your your idea. Because these are the ones that talk to the patrons. They've seen it. They're the ones that have been kicking rocks for the last however long. Mm. Let's put it all on the um, put it all on the whiteboard. Let's work through it." And as I said, you know, there was a lot of things they got wrong. They, they, they were very proud of their chicken schnitzel. So as I said, <laughs> yeah. I, just, I just kept running with that one. And that was a good one to run with. But I basically went and did, and we did a, a, a basically one of these culture sessions. And I said, right, let's create some core values from this. And the ones that we, we did then, and they're still very evident and they still work well today, today, was I want to make sure that we're dynamic. You know, when you're in receivership, you're backwards. You know, I want to be... I want to lead. I want to make sure that we're head of the game on things. I want to make sure that if you see a light bulb out, you fix it. That's what dynamic is. I want you to make sure if you see an issue, you fix an issue. Mm. Be, be ahead. You know, the, the big one that I actually got from AJ and I, and I use this still is be the pioneer, not the historian in the sense of, you know, of, of this, if, you know I don't want to be doing two for one meals because the pub down the road is doing that. I want yeah. to lead that. And, yeah. and we we find that now that the pubs down the road are putting in playgrounds and stuff that we've done, you know, and that's it's nice that you know they're the thing. The next one was care, so so care. So I want to make sure you care about each other, care about the facility, you know. If you don't um, clean up at the end of the night, well, someone the next day has to come and clean up. If you arrive late uh, for your shift, that means that the staff there are having to do extra work. So yeah. care, care was a huge one for us. And the final one um, was pride. And I got all these stories because, you know, oh, mate, didn't show up for work or this didn't happen or he doesn't care about that. He just threw that out or whatever it was. And that's, it wasn't me coming up with these. It was the whole staff coming up with these three core values, being dynamic, having care and pride. If you, didn't, if you don't love settlers, I don't want you here, you know. There's other people that will come and, you know, yeah. if you didn't want to, you know, support the initiatives, you didn't have passion and pride for the place that you worked... Go away, because I, you know, you, you need everyone holistically being that team, and those three things, and everything that we do. Our, our started our, our management meetings, a review. You know, it's part of our contracts. If you don't live one of those three, you, you're not. You, you know, I don't really want you working for us, and we really make sure that we challenge ourselves, challenge each other on making sure that we live those three. And have I you think, had to I shed think, a bit of weight as a result of that? Oh, you, of course, absolutely. And, yeah. and because, mate, when you, you go through a receivership in that instance, you know, you, you, you're, in, you're ingrained, it's ingrained into you. And I had to, if you didn't step up, because you didn't have the pride, whatever it is, you, you move on. Mm. But at least I've been very consistent with my messaging with our guys. that They know what to expect mm. working at Settlers Inn and they're all on board. But, yeah, you're right, there, there's always going to be people who don't, who can't do that physically can't do it's too much of a change from a very poorly to something that we're doing at the moment How so that so that was that was a big one for us is really making sure that i had a, a team yeah. and a culture that all were very understanding of the position of the pub and where we're going what we're trying to do how close the representation would you say settlers is to the pubs that you started running right at the back of your right at the beginning of your career because the the industry's changed so much you're a community oh, pub well look it, it's interesting because yeah the pubs are very very different you know um nlg have got a lot of pubs like settlers in for me it was very challenging back on the whole 
you know, me having to mentor and develop people, um, you know, to, to, to do that. You know, mm. the philosophy of the pubs are still very, very, very similar, I think. Um, you know, and I've worked at, you know, Coleroy, the pub, you know, um, probably not, a, I'm not selling as many as mojitos as I am down at Coleroy, but the community, you know, the community support, the engagement is certainly all still there. And, and any good pub or bar should always have that element of community yeah. uh, and engagement. It's what hospitality basically is. It, it's actually interesting. I was thinking about this the other day. My, my approach to what set was in is probably was to get my brand right first before even thinking about hospitality. I better think about this before I keep talking. But <laughs> but my brand was really about, well, I have the best schnitzels in town, okay? There's, there's, there's an element of hospitality in that, in the sense that, well, if I'm going to have the best schnitzels in town, they, they, they have to be consistent, they have to be well well done, all that sort of stuff. On my brand side, I was on, on the best community pub in town, you know? So I work a lot on what the brand is of the hotel, more so. I have good good beer. It's, it's one of my brand messages. I have good beer, you know, so I, I clean the lines. I do that organically because my brand tells me that's what you need to do. That's a that's a strategy on what on what the brand mm. core is. So you know, so so you do that. So as, brand for me is huge to to what our success has been through that. And because you know consistency is part of our brand, well, I do things consistent. You know, I do things consistently. You know, well, yeah, on what it is. Yeah, right. Well, I think that's a good lesson lesson to learn. I think a lot of people don't necessarily, when they're going into business, understand where they sit in the market, understand what they're famous for, which is which is really important in hospitality. Yeah. You know, I, I I come back down to thinking, and again, I'm regional. You know, probably a little bit different to some of the Sydney pubs, but I'm I'm a publican. You know. Not a venue manager. That was the, what we used to call red coat venue manager. I'm a publican. Publican means that you're a public leader, really. And I, I, I see myself as you know, I, I concentrate on it as much making sure that the local footy team has a place to have their annual general meeting as I am to make sure that they eat quality chicken schnitzels. Both, <laughs> but, but, but both very important. What I'm trying to say there is there is as important as each other for me in that in that sense. That's you know. that's a good point. So the integration into the community. Yep. And you, I don't know whether this is the right question to ask, but you, would you charge the local footy team to come? Of course not. Exactly. Of course so not. That, that's probably the key differentiator, I think, between the way a lot of people would think. They look at trying to insert themselves into the community by being a place for people to meet without any barriers to entry. Um, by just being that facilitator of of, uh, of a meeting or think, of, uh, an event or whatever, I think the be. one of the reasons why maybe settlers and, and maybe to a degree I've been relatively successful at that venue is because I'm genuine in the in in love of community, and mm. that sounds pretty cliche, but you know you've got to uh, you know when when I was back at Red Cape trying to say hey, look now. What's important here is to really entrench yourself in the community, take the case of beer and go down and cook the barbecue at the football game. And you, you tell your venue manager to go and do that and you go, oh, geez, right, okay, I've been told to do this and off they went to do it. Very tough. Whereas I actually enjoy doing that. I actually do <laughs> go down there. I, you don't need to ask me. I'll, I'll go down and do that. And that, you know, and that's, our, again, it's our business model 
that works for us in our business model, mm. that I can be that community-centric, love what I do, basically, you know, be able to champion the community, give them a, a facility that is ultimately loved by everyone because it's, it's genuine, genuine, genuine appeal on it. Mm. And that's and that's an important point for probably what my success is 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 how I probably go through and talk community and, and engage community. I do it genuinely. But it, it's it's a real trend from the last couple of conversations yeah. we've had with Danielle, with Paddy, with Declan Lee um, from Messina. Mm. You know, their business that's a business without strategy. Even though you would look at it and think it's probably got a strategy, but they, the way he spoke, that he was just talking about they do things that they're passionate about. It. It's just about them. It's not about um, trying to do something because someone else might like it. They're just being genuine. It's a, a, a common word that comes up. And in particularly in the pub market, I think with Paddy's interview last mm. week and his approach, it's almost what does the community need? Uh, you know, in inner city Sydney's rolled around. And, and, and you, you, you just facilitate it, you know. That's the thing, you know. I, we, we, you know, there's, there's been the big Palmer for a farmer thing that go going on. I, I didn't lead that. I was pretty... My, my community says, can we do this? Can we actually get involved? How can we get involved? And that's how I got involved. And I then challenged a few other people to get involved as well. And, and clearly it's been a, a successful campaign for the, for the industry. But um, the, indust- the community told me, well, we want to get involved in this. Can you facilitate it for us? I said, absolutely. Let's go for it. You know, and I work with a lot of community groups who need to fundraise. And I, I, I don't go and just give them 5K out of my pocket. But I go, well, let's use my facilities here I've, I've got a bar I've got I've got all these great facilities here you come and do it yourself let's mm. do it together type stuff and I'll work a lot on that you know I've got I think I've got over 20 sport, sport sponsorships you know I don't necessarily give them all cash but I've got great relationships with every single one of them because you know I work closely with with them and within them to make sure that, that we can leverage off and give them a, a safe haven to, to come and have their meetings or they can, you know, all come here and be comfortable and confident that they're not going to get in trouble and all that, sort of, especially with uni groups and all that. That's what a public house or a, a, pub, a regional pub like ours is. Mm. And in your time, you've had a lot of, I guess, different roles mm. in, in groups and, uh, and you would have seen the marketing world change significantly as we all have in the last 20 years. But going to settlers specifically, and just on the back of what you said, is is that your secret to marketing settlers? That it's just it's community engagement and the ethos of it. Oh, absolutely, totally. That's one hundred percent my probably my success is is the genuine community engagement. Mate, clearly I use social media, but so does the community. <laughs> I'm not doing anything they aren't doing. Um, you know, I provide consistency with what. With, again, it's all back back to my brand. I'm a, my, I, I tell everyone my senses are the best. But they are the best. I've, I've worked on that. You know, they're consistent. They do A, B, and C. They're always going to be the same. You always know that if you tell your friends it's the best nitzel, you're going to come and it's going to be the best nitzel because it's going to be the same as what you had three weeks ago. You know, that's an important part. The brand of that, um, so the community is certainly aware of what they, you know, what they're getting is is right. But they can also come and. And this is a, probably a big one, is, is if they want to spoke, speak to the bloke who's making the decisions, well, he's there on the floor. He's not having to go to his area manager, to his, which is a, probably a learning to a degree I had from Redcoat. Yeah. For me, you know, how I want to run my pubs. You know, you want to make a decision, and, and, that's, that, and that's, that, that's me being dynamic as well. You want to do that? Let's do it tomorrow. Let's start tomorrow. Great, let's go for it. But I can, do, I can, I can assure him of that because I'm the bloke there making the decisions. 
Mm. Yeah, great. Well, I think that's been pretty good. And I think I should just say for the benefit of the listenership that these last two episodes have not been brought to anybody by Lilydale. Our obsession with chicken schnitzel <laughs> will, I think, uh, see, see the schnitzel off between yourself, uh, Paddy Coughlin, and Ant Pryor down at Whirlybird. So we should arrange that. I don't that. have any. Well, any... no, mention that schnitzel. So Ant Pryor is Schnitz, doing schnitzel. a... Schnitzilla. Schnitzilla. And you said you admitted before I you s- ripped it off. So I, I said Ant. I actually... No, I did it proper. I said Ant... <laughs> I'm taking this. He goes, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> and so, but you've taken it to a whole new level, aren't you? I took it. I, he, he did it like for. A, I, I did it. Yeah, and I. His was like a, a 450 gram snit, schnitzeller. Right, that's pretty. Mine was a kilo. I actually. <laughs> he. I think he glued his t- together. I actually just butterflied mine and crumbed it. So yours is a whole <laughs> a full, butterfly. It's chicken. a full chicken, <laughs> deboned and butterflied and crumbed. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> and, 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 that's reason enough to go and fall. And, and, and Willie yeah. Bird's. Uh, for the record is two chicken breasts uh, crumbed together. That's right. 500 grams. So I'm glad this level of detail isn't being wasted. Um, <laughs> but but uh, I haven't even talked about my chicken wings. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> we don't need to go through the whole menu. <laughs> Save that for the next episode. Um, we might wrap up with uh, our standard questions. What do you reckon, Luke? Sure. Why not? So other than this fantastic podcast, Alistair, what, any, anything else you're listening to at the moment? or um, Podcasts. Um, Look, I've always, I actually enjoyed um, Tim Reed. Uh, I think it's um, small business, big marketing, and that's just literally talking to, um, to business owners and telling them how their success stories. It's and that's and that's from a, a, a chemist to a, a you know a vet mm-hmm. or whoever, and that that's been great. I, I listen to that, and the other one I'm doing actually is um, that the um, the teacher's pet, which is that, that um, the unsolved murder that uh, happened on the northern beaches. Yeah, uh, right. yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm quite enthralled with that one. Yeah, right. <laughs> we won't read anything into your move further north uh, as a result of that. <laughs> yeah. And what about music-wise, album or artist that you're listening oh, to? Right but now? I'm pretty basic, you know. Outside of the, the the Wiggles that's in the car, if the radio's not on, it's the Wiggles. But mate, I'm I'm a bit of a country fan, so uh, right. Garth Brooks for me. Garth oh, Brooks, mate. Is, is that is that? <laughs> have you checked whether that's um, Deemed rock music at the local. Place. It's not. It's not deemed rock music. Just quietly, we're, we're I'm okay. The like I actually, I was saying to my wife the other day, I've got a, a one, <laughs> one year old. I don't know. Tell us well, honestly, I, I legitimately, they're probably my favourite band at the moment. Oh, they get in your head. That's yeah, the problem. they do. I they just do get in your head. Get, yeah. Um, Whirly bird. Do the Whirly bird out of my head. Yeah. It's pretty bad. And the actions you get. Some of the actions. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. Um, so we're sitting here drinking uh, some of Danielle's finest pale ale at the moment. But what's your favourite drink right now, mate? I'm not. Uh, I'm not a tricky drinker. <laughs> you know, usually it's it, for me. It's just um, drinking a, a Carlton Dry or a you know a Carlton Draft or something like that. But um, if, if I do have a later night, um, I, mate, I've always been a rum and coke drinker. Mm. I, but I, my palate's changed. It was just beforehand. It was a Bundy and Coke. I'm now down to get into the spice rum and, oh, and, yeah. and dry, yeah. yeah right. So that that's as, as innovative and quirky as I get. <laughs> Would you do you care to name call a spice rum? Oh, yeah. I, I'm just Captain Morgan Captain for me. Morgan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if that? I'm really unleashing, it's an espresso martini. But that's because you know that's pretty regional these days. Yeah, it is. Indeed. <laughs> indeed. It's amazing. Do you remember Captain Morgan? I remember when I came up. Oh, you wouldn't. You wouldn't talk about. And he would oh, never touch yeah. it ever. And now it's it's everywhere. Yeah. Okay, and uh, um, favorite venue that is not your own. Oh, look, yeah, 
Look, and, and, I'm, and, and I know you said it wasn't that. Look, when, I, when we launched Colorado, I loved the Colorado, but I just love those good suburban pubs, community engaged. You know, mate, and probably not right now, but the Clavelli Hotel back in the um, 2000 was, it was a cracker, you know. So those sort of pubs there where they got some, you know, good community support, uh, you know, Chloe for me was, was, always, was always a favourite. Clearly, you know, the, the Oak at Double Bay was, was an old yeah. favourite of mine yeah. as well. Um, yeah, so those those sort of pubs, good yeah. regional pubs. Yeah, good, great. And lastly, but not least, who in the industry are you most inspired by, and why? Oh, look, uh, look, uh, look. A couple of guys that I've worked with, I'm, I'm certainly inspired by, and, and certainly you know have been been pretty loyal to the whole way through. Is, is Andrew Jolliffe, who's been very successful with what he's done. Um, he's just a he's just a very genuine people person, you know. Cl- clearly, can see why he's quite successful in his role. Dan Brady, he, Dan Dan's been um, who, who's who's now CEO of Red Cape, and he's been through it all. You know, we went right through the NLG to Red Cape, and, and the, the perseverance and and the leadership that he provided was a, a, a true. You know, there's always good assets there, but to to to, to un- unlock what. What Red Cape's done is is through his management type and and, and leadership there, and uh, two guys in particular that I, I just love. Um, they're coming through the ranks. They're, they're they're pretty aggressive. They they understand pubs well. Um, is is someone like Mark Malloy, um, who who used to have the North Gong Hotel and. Um, he's got the you know the rail the railway at Lidcombe who's taken that to the number one gaming pub, but he's just he's bullish and he's gung ho and he's and he's he backs himself and and the other one who's very similar in trait is is Sean O'Hara, who um, again gone through a bit of a regional story as well, bought pubs in Wagga and and he's sort of all over the uh, all over New South Wales at the moment and he just he's got a good little model there. And he backs himself, and he's quite aggressive with it. And mate, he's doing some great things. So they're my couple. Wonderful. Well, I think on that note, um, mm-hmm. thanks for coming on. Uh, we look forward to eating schnitzels and <laughs> drinking beers <laughs> up at the settlers with you soon. Thanks no for worries. Me. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Uh.